district. Yeah, I agree. I appreciate the uh, the interpretation for where things are going. I think it's great for for us as well as all the community to understand how we move forward together. And I think that's the, your presentation did a great job on that. Um, just a couple of clarifications on the operation side. So for the negative test you mentioned, I know, I know that was. Um, this is I'm, I'm on the slide where it says exposure with symptoms testing only needed if symptoms develop and you said a negative test would be required if symptoms developed in order to come back um, what options do we have I think last year that was like a doctor approved or uh, negative test I'm assuming is that the same requirement it's really it's for any illness it's you know when a, when a, a student or staff member goes home if they're going home with um, it, any of the COVID like symptoms which really are respiratory virus symptoms which you know and other types of communicable virus symptoms so if you you know we're looking for you know a negative test that shows that you don't have covid or your healthcare provider can provide a clearance and you know to a lot of times you know those those clearances look like oh this student has chronic allergies and they're on medication and they come they're able to come back you know it's it's an ear infection it's not covid it's a stomach bug it's not it's not covid but it's still you know regardless of what the symptoms are it, it's going to yeah. be a a you know a clearance or your well or clearance so, yeah. so just to, to clarify, no, no, no. let me just ask a question first. Sure, sorry. sorry. So, what 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 options do we have for students that might not have the ability to go to a healthcare provider, or do we have any options for for those students, or or are they especially for yeah, just for the accessibility? Really, that's that's kind of what so, I was so, getting to. So, let me let me clarify just one thing before you answer that question. Um, this requirement is a pre-pandemic requirement, right? So just so everybody knows that anytime a kid goes home sick, even five years ago, they had to return with a doctor's clearance or some sort of note if they went home with an upper respiratory infection potentially or something like that. So one of the nice things is we have opportunities now, if, if a student doesn't have a chance to get to a doctor, we're gonna revert back to what we were doing pre-pandemic, connect them with social workers, connect them with their school counselors, work with the families to see how we might be able to provide opportunities for them to be able to see a doctor. Okay. But, but I just wanna make sure everybody understands that this is, this is the same practice we had in place three years ago before the right. pandemic even started. Okay, okay, then, then yeah, connecting with the opportunity to get that test, especially for certain families is really a question that's great. Right. Now, accessibility to testing, that's really, that, that piece we've taken care of because when students go home, we are able to send them home with tests. Okay, that sounds great. And that'll continue. Um, the, the other question was, um, and I know the CDC guidance is new, and, and as you mentioned, the state and the county are still trying to figure things out, but the extracurricular activities, I think that is probably where the community is, is interested in, in waiting, and I think that's where a lot of the gray area. What's your thoughts or predictions on how we'll know the guidance around various extracurricular activities, which I know is governed by different groups as well, so we're waiting for those groups, but what's your thoughts right now on how those are going to be impacted by the new guidance I, I think that you know it's how you, it really is how we are handling positives and exposures and so if we're able to you know to monitor our positives and then if you have symptoms you stay home it, there's going to be less of an impact I, you know I couldn't forecast what any of those groups would say I think so they haven't they haven't come similar. out with any updated guidance not or anything that, like that no, so sports our own extracurricular activities like yeah. I, I will say in the spring um, it wasn't an issue at all right. for us um, and that was 
prior to this new guidance. So um, in other words, we didn't require vaccinations, we didn't require um, testing before games or anything like that. So my, my anticipation would be knowing the VHSL, for example, mm -hmm. um, that they will, they'll follow pretty, they'll, they'll hew very closely to the CDC guidance. So if there is a positive, They'll, they'll ask that positive student to stay out for five days or until they're, and then if they're symptom free, they can come back with a negative test or with a mask. I would imagine that that would be their guidance. And if you're exposed and you're symptom free, no, nothing to worry about. You just continue to play. But if you become ill, then you have to follow the protocol. But I, I don't anticipate that they would do anything more stringent than what we're doing. Uh, what we're doing, I would anticipate, if anything, it would be potentially less stringent than what the CDC guidance is. Okay, that's good to know. And then the last one, just a curiosity question about the um, twice a week at preschool and secondary and once a week at elementary. Just curious why there's a difference in the elementary versus secondary the or preschool. Ele the elementary schools, I think it was a little, it was uh, honestly a big piece of it was being able to get the little guys down, get them tested, getting them back. And then sometimes it was who's going to this encore and who's going, you know, needs to go back. And so it was, it, it was, or operationally, it was, I think, more of a struggle at the elementary school. We wanted to keep it in place um, twice a week at the preschool since those students just got vaccinated. In fact, some of them are just now getting their second booster. And so we, so that was um, part of that decision. It's a little bit easier operationally there to okay. offer, offer it. And JTP is also a site that a, a lot of central office employees use. Um, typically um, because you know we, they can go there first thing in the morning and it's a smaller building and and that was the first stop on the testing um, circuit if you will so a lot of folks <laughs> use that so we continued with the, two, the twice a week there and then at the secondary the reason we do twice a week there is because kids have agency just to go do it themselves right. okay. they don't have to be escorted down right. with the class and and escorted back so operationally I think it just was a challenge and we only do it at the secondary campus during the lunch period so then the kids can just come down takes you know it, those of you who've been through our process I hope you would you know speak positively but our goal is to get you in and out within three or four minutes okay thanks thank you yes Ms. Tice I just had two quick follow-up questions thank you for all of this it is exciting to have um this this new approach um for at the secondary level with the two days do they just go whichever day works for them during the week or is it still switch still separated by last name or i think that's one of the pieces that um we're going to look at okay you know and even though it was switched last name if someone you know called and said hey i need to go on tuesday instead of thursday everybody came whenever they needed to okay we never um, told anyone no and then i'm sorry if i missed this maybe you maybe you clarified this but when you have to submit a rapid test does it have to be one of the proctored ones from the school or no. just anything that people have at home yeah okay. we made that change last spring when okay. the health just, department made that update so. got it thank you and you should call and get those tests you can call you can go online and get them from the government they'll send you eight at a time <laughs> thank you dr Demick. Thank you for your presentation, Ms. Sharp, and thank you for all of your work on COVID during this pandemic. I hope it can be less and less part of your portfolio. Um, I was just curious um, about the move away from PCRs into rapid tests. Is it is it a cost issue, or is it that the rapid tests are you know good enough? Or part of it, I think, is the complexity of of 
cooling off rapid tests. That's part of the reason the CDC backed off. And that's a burden on a community, you know, because it takes, you know, it requires a vendor and then, you know, all the scheduling has to occur and for people to go in. And then even when we're finished at the end of the day, you know, with testing here, the tests still have to get to the lab. And then once they get processed, they all come back. And, you know, and then we have to respond to them all. So that it's a big process. And so I think that's part of it. And it's not a necessary process unless communities are in high. Um, another quick question about the vaccination requirement for extracurricular. There is no vaccination no. requirement for extracurricular, correct? No. Correct. Okay. Nope. Sorry. Uh, okay. On Zoom here, if we have any questions. Okay. Uh, Ms. Sharp, just two uh, quick questions. Um, so just to clarify for people who might be watching, so the CDC just gave out some updated guidance. The VDH had given guidance in July. So now does VDH come back and revise that guidance based on the recent CDC guidance? And that's exactly what's going to happen. In fact, you know, if you click on, I think one of VDH's sites that John and I were on the other day when we were updating our website, the page says currently being updated. Okay. Okay. So do you anticipate anything we've talked about tonight changing much? Uh, no. Okay. Okay. So I think the biggest piece is they're looking at how they're going to um, move VISTA and the testing because that was one of the bigger changes right. was the recommendation for PCRs during um, when a community's in high. Okay. But everything else really aligns pretty closely. Okay. And uh, one other question I had is I noticed uh, I liked you talked about a health team sort of helping take off some of that pressure from the administrative school-based staff. So is the health team, is that central office staff? Who, who makes up the health team? Is it you? Are you the health team? <laughs> no, I'm very fortunate. You all, you know, present, you all gave us a budget that al allowed um, us to move to two public health nurses now. So that's incredible. That's provided a huge piece. And then VISTA funds a nurse for the um, for any school division that participates in it. And we just hired her and she's going to start next week. So okay. I have the three nurses that, that help. I do, you know, I'm still responding, you know, to the cases because when the, you know, that's that last piece of the PCR testing when they come in on Friday nights, that's, that's what, I, you know, what I do. And, but it keeps us all safe. So it's okay. So we have a great um, a team of nurses who will respond and then we also have our shaws and our schools help they help a lot with you know with if somebody's coming back you know and the parent has questions and they're not sure you know they contact the shaws the shaws also get them in touch with the nurse if needed great great thank you that that is wonderful to have the those nurses because i don't think pre-pandemic we didn't have anywhere near that in terms of nurses in our system so no I'm not a nurse I just play one on TV <laughs> <laughs> and well you play it very well uh, any other questions okay well thank you Ms. Sharp you. so much and I know we'll be getting this information out to the community once uh, classes start and well, I know it's already been going out but we'll continue to inform the community and with the help of Mr. Brett so thank you so much this is really helpful Okay, we're going to move on now to uh, section 2.02, and this is School Board Advisory Committee Orientation and Charges. And I know, Dr. Noonan, at the top of this, you mentioned that some of these could have been um, given to us um, over email, but I think this is really important for um, 
just awareness for the community to, I don't know if all the community members are even aware that the school board has advisory committees. So I think this is a great way to get that information out and maybe, um, you know, pique some people's interest in getting involved. So I'll turn it over to you. Thank great. you. Thank you. Um, and, and just to uh, sort of put a bow on your last comment about getting the information out, um, just a sort of shameless plug that tomorrow night at um, 7 p.m. I'll be doing a live stream YouTube. Uh, and, and this will be part of the conversation too, sort of the revised guidance for schools based on the new CD, CDC information that came out. So um, we'll also be sharing it that way. Um, so, so thank you uh, for giving me the opportunity to share tonight um, the school board advisory um, committee training that um, really Rebecca Sharp um, was pretty um, integral in putting together. I tasked her with um, helping figure out how to, how to make this happen because we all are sort of scrambling as school starts to get stuff done. But this is an important training, um, we believe, based on some of the feedback that we've received from the board and also from um, board chair, uh, advisory board chairs and some committee members and some staff liaison, just in terms of like, you know, we're, we're new, we're the new board uh, advisory committee um, members, what are we supposed to do? And, and I don't think that we've done an extraordinary job um, of getting people like tuned up. And I think pre-pandemic, you know, we did okay. We were much more involved. We were face-to-face. -face. We were, um, it, you know, it wasn't as difficult or as complicated to sort of navigate, but it did um, sort of expose something that we needed to look at. So we have a few slides this evening that we'd like to share with you, um, or I'll share with you. And, and then um, I also want to share with the board that there's also a backup um, document that's sort of like a, a manual, if you will. It's not very long. It's three or four or five pages that essentially answers in writing what these um, what this presentation um, shares as well. So on August 30th, and, and not to hide the ball here, on August 30th um, at 6 p.m., um, the chair and the vice chair are going to come and join um, myself and, and Rebecca Sharp and Tricia Minson to do a training with um, the advisory chairs and um, the staff liaisons. And that evening, we'll go through this presentation. So we wanted to share it this, uh, this evening with you just to kind of see what was in it. So. Um, you'll see in here, um, just in terms of a few things right off the bat, um, we're going to try to make this fun. Um, we're going to start with sort of a team building activity. Um, some of you might be familiar with cup, you've seen that cup stacking activity where you, you stack cups and then you put pieces of cardboard in between and you try to pull the cardboard out and the cups stack on top of each other. We, we might do something like that just to kind of get the, the night rolling. Um, and then we want to get into... Um, you know, what is the uh, advisory committee resource guide look like? In other words, what kind of resources are out there? So, you know, again, to the advisory committee chairs, you don't have to remember everything that we say to you tonight. There'll be a nice backup document that goes with it. Um, reviewing the purpose of the advisory committees, the roles of the members um, and the leaders. Um, we have a, a little do this, don't do that kind of activity in here, like an eat this, don't eat that kind of thing. You've probably seen those before. And then a beginning step in uh, developing the charges, um, and, and that would be a combination task between the staff liaison, the staff board chair, uh, or uh, the, the staff liaison, the committee chair, um, and then ultimately with some of the committee kind of going back and talking about the strategic plan and how those charges align. Um, we do have a place in here for a parking lot, so if there are questions that can come up, we can add that to an FAQ, to an FAQ that's being developed. Um, and at the same time, we can also answer some questions. So we'd start with um, welcomes and introductions. Um, and then uh, we would talk about that FAQ and the parking lot that we'll set up to collect those things. 
And then we'll move into sort of the purpose of the advisory board. Um, and I think that this is something that hasn't been abundantly clear, I don't think, to um, some of our boards um, that are your boards, really, uh, advisory boards um, in the last several years. But their role really is to provide you all with advisement and advice about whatever it is that you feel like is important for you to get advisement about within the context of that um, committee structure. Um, they also would then make recommendations on issues or policy in order to help support you and help um, the school division be successful. Um, they represent the voices of not just themselves, but they also represent the voices of others that are associated not only with the committee, but with others that have excitement or enthusiasm around that committee um, structure. And then also sharing their, um, their expertise. One of the things that we know about our community is we have some really incredible um, people here that have had opportunities to be part of not just committees in schools, but committees in the federal government or committees in big business or committees in whatever um, to really support us in a variety of different ways. So sort of reviewing um, what is the purpose of these advisories, but primarily it's about providing you all as a school board with advisement and, and providing some recommendations. Um, then um, what, is the, what are the roles that are on um, these advisory committees? So we have the school board liaison, committee chair, um, the staff liaison and then appointed members and talk about sort of how those people come into uh, into play. I'm not sure that um, everyone who is on it, well, I guess everybody who's on a committee probably knows that they were appointed by a, by a board member um, and went through the closed session where we talk about these um, appointees. But bottom line, just to kind of talk about how do you, how do you get to where we are with respect to these advisories. Um, and then what we want to do is um, engage them just in a conversation. Um, you know about what do you what do you know about your role? How did you learn about it? And what questions do you have about it? Just to sort of engage um, that group a little bit, and then we'll move into you know do this not that um, the advisory committee edition, um, and this is where we sort of talk about the eat this don't that uh, eat this not that or wear this not that um, kind of idea. So the scenarios are there's four of them in here, um, and the first one's about quorums, and and this is all led to by um, the notion of that. Uh, advisory boards have to operate the same way that school boards operate. In other words, they have to be, uh, we would give them this information, they have to be advertised just like school board um, meetings are advertised, they're subject to FOIA and FERPA just like everybody here is, um, that you know, two is a conversation, three is a meeting, being careful about emails and stuff like that. But um, some of that would come out through these scenarios. So the first is, um, you know, it's time for a meeting to begin, most of the people are there, um, do this, determine if you have a simple majority of voting members to hold the meeting, and if not, um, you can't hold the meeting, uh, and, and don't do this, don't hold the meeting without counting everyone, just because usually everyone shows up. Um, you might not have a quorum. So that would lead us in, into this conversation about the, the necess necessity of a quorum. Um, then Tricia would lead us through the next one about FOIA, FOIA, FERPA, and other F words. Um, per perhaps, um, which is sort of how we affectionately call it around here, but um, the question would be, you receive an email from a parent sent to all of the members of, advisory, of the advisory, um, what do you do? You respond to them, thanking them for reaching out, um, and copy your staff liaison and board member only. Don't copy the whole committee back. Um, so that'll be an important conversation to have with the committee. You have one person that sort of speaks for the committee, that should be the chair. Um, because you don't want to get into a circumstance where you're creating an online meeting by all replying. 
So don't do this. Don't reply all and um, set up a meeting with a parent with other committee members and hear out their concerns. Um, so in other words, don't reply all and get a, into a situation that could be considered a meeting. Um, and so those would be some boundaries or some ground rules or some norms that would be set up with the committees at the beginning of the year. Um, then public comment. There is one or two committees that um, still, uh, not still, but have people that come and make public comments to them. Um, so if two parents attend the meeting and share a concern about a teacher's class and their student during public comment, do this. Let them, much like you all do, let them speak, um, followed by, um, you know, letting the division staff address that with the member, not there, but in the future, um, turning it over to staff. Um, and, but not this. Don't ask any other members if they have the same experience to get into a long, protracted discussion about particularly a staff member or any one single person's um, student, because you don't want to talk about a particular student. And then um, the, lastly, uh, the last scenario is around um, agendas and minutes. Um, a member posts the minutes from a meeting on social media, do this, remind them that it doesn't follow policy 5.12 and ask them to take them down until the advisory has had a chance to review them and revise them as needed and vote to approve the minutes um, and don't just ignore it. Um, and so we'll be working with the, the liaisons on, um, on how to sort of support the, the right policies and processes with respect to agendas and meetings because ultimately those minutes do get approved and there is a place on our website um, that we host for all of the advisories where all the minutes can be found. Um, so from there, if I can get back to my um, presentation, just a couple more things we would do. Um, just as reminders, and I kind of talked about a couple of these early on, you know, two is a conversation, three is a meeting, um, both online, um, in person, and over the phone, um, or by Zoom, and so reminding them that all of those have to be advertised public meetings. Um, the use of minutes from the meetings helped draft the annual report and is a reflection of the work of the advisory committee from, um, of the year. Um, allow school board members and staff liaisons um, an opportunity to talk on the agenda because it would be good for you all to sort of update them on things that are happening um, in FCCPS that may potentially impact the work of the committee. Um, asking them to sort of brush up on Robert's rules. Um, Tricia Minson is the master of Robert's rules and will be there to sort of help, um, help them with that, review the bylaws um, and the policy with the members to ensure clarity of purpose and then ask them to sort of welcome and orient new members to, to the work. Um, from there, we would then get into uh, a little break, come back, and we would start asking them to begin developing um, their charge. And this is, um, this is an important piece, I think, uh, for us to consider that we tried to do for the last two years, um, maybe a little unsuccessfully, but, um, but we'd like to really get back to it now that we're kind of, kind of back and, and better than ever. Um, and that is that these advisory committees work on charges that are associated with a strategic plan that you all have adopted. That strategic plan is sort of our north star of the school division and it's meant to lead us um, over the next five years. So um, we're asking that these charges of these committees be aligned to that um, as they were with the triennial plan prior to the, um, to the pandemic. So we would spend a few minutes, not too long, talking about the strategic plan um, giving everybody kind of an overview of that, and then we would ask them to get together with their, um, with their staff liaison um, to begin drafting sort of three or four sentences on a piece of chart paper, hang up the chart paper, do a quick gallery walk with sticky notes, kind of give some feedback about those charges, 
um, and then ask those folks to go back to their committee and start continuing to, to flesh out what would that committee charge be based on our, our work and then we would share the final versions of those charges with the school board because ultimately you do adopt those charges um, that go to those committee chairs and we hope to have that done by um, mid to, to late September so that everybody by October can dig in and start working on their charges. Um, so then our, our next step would be to review their meeting schedules with them, um, draft agenda for the first meeting, um, include in that agenda um, that packet of information, but also a review of the purpose of that committee, um, sharing the charge with the group, and then using the resource guide as a tool um, for support, and then we would get into questions and answers. So um, it is a, a much more robust sort of training than we've ever done with our um, advisory committee chairs. Uh, I think it's a move in the right direction for sure. Um, and then also with the backup documents that are, will sort of be our corporate memory around some of that I think will be really important as well. Um, and hopefully let those um, committee chair people sort of get off on the right foot and know, okay, I'm the new committee chair for health and wellness advisory committee. Um, and so now I know what my role is. I know what our purpose is. I know what the strategic plan says. I've been working with my liaison. Now we can go back and kind of work on a charge that makes sense in the context of what's happening um, in the schools. So that's where we're headed. Um, again, I think I said August 30th is the, um, is the presentation, presentation evening. It's a lot of content. We hope to get through it within an hour. Um, if it goes an hour and 15 or an hour and a half, it might, um, but hopefully we'll get through in about an hour um, and, and hopefully everybody will feel good about it. So um, with that, I'll, I'll stop and um, we're happy to take any questions that you may have. And then, um, you know, this is up on board docs. So if you have questions in the future, you certainly can um, share those with us. Thank you, Dr. Noon. We're not going to get through it in an hour. <laughs> but it's terrific. And thank you, Ms. Sharp, for that really uh, wonderful presentation. And thank you, Ms. Tice, because I think Ms. Tice was the one that sort of gave us a little nudge to get this going. So any questions from any of the board members? Yes, uh, Vice Chair Gould. Uh, uh, yeah, this does look great. I mean, this is great for uh, yeah, th that orientation and getting people off on the right foot, especially since some of the, media, the committees don't meet that often. So we want to maximize and, and, um, when they connect. Um, is, it, is, is there any value in having the charges from last time provided to them just as examples of what other committees did to give them some thinking or would that? No, I think it's a great idea. Um, okay. We certainly can, can do that and include that as some sample. Uh, samples of what has what what they look like um, what they could look like yeah. yeah knowing that that's not the that we didn't have the strategic plan right. then but yeah okay it's a great idea um, and then the other uh, suggestion was vice chairs on committees if they would be able to be invited whether the chair couldn't make it or since I think as chair down said some of the vice chairs become chairs um, and just getting that I don't know if we have a size limitation we, we are not limited in size at this point. Um, we okay. did invite the chairs. We certainly could go back and um, let the chairs know if they can't make it or they would like to bring their vice chair. That would certainly be okay. acceptable. Great. Great Same. idea. That was actually a vice chair of a certain committee that gave me that suggestion. Gotcha. So, yep. So. Gotcha. Ms. Tice. Uh, yes, mostly I just wanted to say thank you. I'm so excited about this. As somebody who served on, a, on um, committees and now has been able to, to serve as the liaison to the committees. I just think this is going to be so valuable and make everybody's job clearer and more um, and more fun and more impactful. So thank you so much. I'm, I'm thrilled with all of this. Um, 
uh, Dr. Gould asked my one question about, I think it would be really helpful to have some sample charges um, yep. just to get the ball rolling. And um, you know what? I think I, I forgot my second question. So I'll get back to you if I come, if I come up. Sounds we'll great. be here. Dr. Dimmick. Thank you. I agree. This is a great idea. Um, one thing that struck me is I, I don't think every committee has bylaws. I know special ed worked on their bylaws, but I don't think other committees do. And looking at the policy, it doesn't seem like they have to have bylaws, but if we do want them to have bylaws, we might want to provide sample bylaws so that you know, committees really are limited in their meeting time and right. writing those bylaws could eat up a chunk of your otherwise productive meeting time. So if we would like them to have bylaws, maybe we could give them some. Yeah, I think what we'll do is maybe modify the language to if your committee has bylaws um, to review the bylaws, um, since it's not a requirement um, of the board. And if you all do want to make that change eventually, um, certainly it's at your uh, within your purview to do that. But um. and may I ask another <coughs> yes kind of unrelated question? Since I looked at the policy and the policy talks about I think says George Mason High School. Uh. To our Miss Vincent, as we move through our, do we just change that as we go through our policies? And each one we come across, we fix it because we have to. We can't just change them. We have to approve the new policy if we change the name of the school. Yes, as we've been bringing new policies, we've been updating school names. It's a good catch. Any questions from our virtual group? Yeah, I have a question, yes. Chair Downs. Um, let me try to lower my hand. Seems seems harder than I realized. Okay, um, just looking. I think this is great. I really, I think it's a terrific idea to get everybody on board. Review the the requirements, um, um, especially the legal requirements, but also to to get folks focused on a um, on a specific goal. Um, the question I have, though, is looking ahead. Um, I can imagine a couple of the advisory committees, all the advisory committees coming up with a charge and then um, needing information to help make those decisions and to provide the advice that's necessary. So um, I think this is not something that we can resolve now, but maybe making a suggestion that we figure out the most effective way for both the school board liaisons as well as the staff liaisons to be able to work with um, the administration and the schools to give the information that's needed so that the, that the advisory committees can appropriately consider it. Because I think that that's been one challenge that, that I've seen in a couple of committees that I participated in in the spring um, was that it was it was sometimes um, working with, it, we understand that we have to work with imperfect information, but working with as much um, up-to-date information as possible from the district is probably going to be the most useful. Um, allow those committees to make the most useful um, uh, 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 use their time most effectively. Yeah, I appreciate um, that feedback, Dr. Ortiz. I, I think um, we we struggle. Um, first of all, the staff liaison is really there to be the primary resource um, to help gather information that's needed for the committee to help, whether it's a whether it's policies, whether it's um, other other information that's that's out there. I think where we got into a little bit of a uh, not a bind or a twist, but we got a little. Um, it became a little complicated last year. Was that several several of the advisory committees wanted to do surveys 
of the community. And it was at the same time that we were surveying students and we were surveying staff and, and, our, com and our committees um, wanting to survey kind of made us uh, feel like we were going to get into some sort of survey fatigue um, in some ways. So um, if that is indeed a strategy that um, the, the committees want to deploy to be able to get timely information from the community, um, we, we, may have to, we may have to have a longer conversation, sort of to your point of it not being able to resolve it tonight about like how many surveys are we going to do and, and how often are we going to do them um, and are they there because they would be formal school board surveys that would be going out because these advisory committees are an extension of you so as a school board member do you want to be putting out five or six or seven surveys each year um, mm. and and have that connected with you so those are just some things we'll, we'll have to consider but I understand your I think I understand your point um, and, and certainly know that we are we're a staff that um, are, are happy to help in any way that we can with information to, to make sure that those advisory committees get what they need. Um, I think it just got challenging last year with the survey piece. Thank you, Dr. Ortiz. Yes, Ms. Tice. I remembered my question. Um, I uh, and I thought of two more. Sorry. Um, the uh, going back to in-person meetings. It, I, are we still wrestling with whether there will be a sort of hybrid option? I know that technology is tricky, but it's also so helpful in a pinch. So. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so. The, the city council is going to repeal the emergency order and that emergency order gave us the blanket sort of coverage to, to have online meetings as we as we wish um, when that goes into effect which will be September 1st it's the expectation that everybody go back to in-person meetings however um, not unlike the school board um, the school board has the the ability to miss up to 25% of the meetings um, and participate virtually in that 25% of those meetings. That would hold with the committees as well. So for example, if I have four, if I have five meetings, um, I might be able to participate in one um, virtually, but it's expected that those other four that I'm in person. So the, the committees will be able to miss up to 25% to participate virtually, but the expectation is we're back in person. Yeah, that sounds great. I just, for the, for when you're, when somebody's participating virtually, will it be a standard, like what account or program will they use? Will it be Meetup, Meet, or Zoom, or whatever the chair wants, or is there a? Um, we'll, we'll work with the chairs and the liaisons about that. It might be good just to have one standard, whether it's Google Meets or, um, but we, Right. Well, I mean, because I didn't know was free, that a problem well, before. No, but I mean, like, I think the free Zoom times out, or at least it used to. I don't know. I haven't yep. been on Zoom recently. But, you know, things like that. Like, if they don't have access to a two-hour program, I want to make sure they have the right login gotcha. to conduct a two-hour meeting virtually, or however long the meetings are, so they're not full too much. Okay, gotcha. Um, and then I just had one other thought. Um, I was quickly looking through the the resource document for the chairs, and I know this sounds really basic, but I would suggest even. 
I, um, when you're brainstorming that first agenda, like just the basics of how to run a meeting, because the expectations are so different. I mean, just really simply like make sure everybody gets a chance to introduce themselves. Or when somebody rolls off the committee, make sure you say thank you um, at, the, their, at their last meeting, if you know it's their last meeting. Just little reminders like that. I think people who aren't used to sitting through these meetings or running meetings, like those things aren't always obvious or they just get lost in the shuffle. So even just a, a quick skeleton of an agenda so that it's a reminder, you know, some of those basics on how to run a meeting. It's just the, the range of meetings is so wide. I, mean, I don't want to take away people's um, independence on running a meeting how they want, but just some basics would be helpful. And then back to the, great feedback. the back to the survey. Um, I know we've kind of been wrestling with with uh, surveying parents and how and if we would we would we would do that. And I'm wondering if this could be part of just the parent survey if we were if we let each um, committee have you know two questions. I know we would survey fatigue is real, so I get we don't want to be sending out five or six surveys or may, or send a survey that has a hundred questions on it because then you're not going to get good data, but. Perhaps if we are going to survey the parents at some point, um, I know that's different if it's coming from the school board versus coming from the, the school system. But uh, maybe each committee could have two questions or three questions. And so if you're if you're if you're a parent who has an interest in that population, you have the option of answering those two or three questions. Yeah. Why don't we? Um, it's an idea. Why yeah, it's a nice idea. Um, you know, we had talked about surveying families through the K-12 insight process this year, sort of on the off years when we do staff and students one year and then parents the next and sort of rotate that way. Um, maybe we can work with K-12 insight to see um, if we would be able to weave some questions in there. Um, we have Qualtrics. I'm, I'm looking at Mr. Brett over there. We also have <laughs> uh, Qualtrics, which might allow for uh, maybe an abbreviated survey of you know ten or fifteen questions um, that could get at some of the information that um, the committees are looking to get at. I, I don't know, but we, we can certainly look at it. Right. It just I was thinking, you know, if you have a, a special needs kid, then you would be interested in answering those questions, and if you don't, you could skip those three and et cetera down the line. Um. Thank you, Ms. Tice. Uh, my only uh, feedback would be. Um, Ms. Sharp and, and uh, Ms. Goodell can help me with this, but maybe putting something in writing about the actual, uh, um, we had a little bit of a um, confusion uh, this past year where I think a school board member worked with bringing someone on a committee, but then also the chair was written there was some confusion. So just when we're, when it's time, when there's a vacancy, when there's time to bring someone on, the school board chair's role versus the committee chair's role and, you know, we're just, and I can just send some language so that we're not, I just don't want to be in a situation where a, a, the chair is recruiting and the school board person is recruiting and then we've got mixed messages and that sort of thing. So um, we can do that offline. And, and Ms. Goddard, I just want to thank you for all of you. You do the all of the keeping track of everything. So you keep, a, you keep the whole school board on track about what we're supposed to be doing with the advisory committee. So thank you for, for your work on this. Uh, any other questions before we close this one out? All right, well, thank you. This has been a great discussion, and I think this is really going to be helpful for our uh, advisory committees to make them even more productive, and I think it will be such an asset for, our, for the committee chairs to understand their roles. So thank you again to everyone. Uh, we'll move on now to 2.03 School Quality Profile, and I'll turn it back over to you, Dr. Noonan. Thank you very much. Um, this is just an informational piece. Um, I want to be like as clear as I can that this is not a data presentation. Um, but this last um, 
within the last five days, uh, information came out from the Virginia Department of Education about the student achievement in Falls Church City. Um, and I wanted to make sure that everybody knew where to go to get the information. So I'm just gonna share with you tonight where to go um, and, and how it's organized. Um, but the, the data presentation that we're planning to do with all of our um, associated scores and the like is coming in September. So um, let me um, quickly share my screen here um, to kind of give you the, the lowdown. That's not it. There we go. All right. So um, it's not sharing. Hold on a second. Uh, sharing paused. Bring your window to the front. I don't know what that means. All right. Sorry, there's a little technical difficulty here. Um, let me do this. So if, um, very quickly, if you just go to www.vdoe.gov. Oh, I can't see. All right, let's do this. What's going on right now? All right, and then you go to this, this link here. I don't know why this other thing is here. Does anybody know why? I'm gonna pull it away and then try and close it. That's what I'll do. All right, so you get, um, you get to this page, the Virginia Department of Education School Quality Profiles, and there's a variety of ways that you can search for the City of Falls Church Schools. You can also search the 132 school divisions around the state as well. So if you wanted to pull up another divisions and sort of do some comparison, um, it's a nice opportunity to do that. Um, but if you go down to enter school division and just put in Falls Church, um, you'll see two things will pop up. Um, one is Falls Church High School and the other is Falls Church City Public Schools. And if you click on that, um, you'll see this um, school quality um, uh, profile uh, splash page that comes up. And it gives you some information about our division. Um, but what's really, I think, the most important thing to note here is that there are these nine things that you can look at across the bottom that give us some sense of our, um, our work here in the system relative to other school divisions. And again, you can kind of do some comparisons. But I wanted to specifically show you two things. One is that um, when you come up initially, the first thing you see is that we're, we're fully accredited, which, you know, we, we better be <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. But if you go to assessments, um, this is where um, the new assessments for the 2020-2021 school year have come up. And so you can scroll down, and this is reading performance for all students, and you'll see the comparison side by side. This is 2020-2021, um, ver us versus the state, 
and then 21, 22 uh, versus the state. So in English reading, for example, you see in the aggregate, we went from 90% uh, passing in the division to 92% passing in reading. So we actually went up in reading um, over, year over year. Then uh, you can scroll down to writing. Um, there isn't a, a similar um, circumstance to writing, but we're at 89% writing. This is where that information comes from. Math performance, you'll see um, last year we were 84%, this year we're at 87%, relative to the state, 66%. And then in science, you'll see we're at 83%, now we're at 88%. But what's nice about this, um, this particular website, if you're so inclined to go in and dig around a little bit, is you can also disaggregate the data by female, by male, by black, Hispanic, white, Asian, multiple races, students with disabilities, students that are economically disadvantaged, and English learners. Um, these, these data um, for these breakout groups or these subgroups that you're seeing at the bottom are data that are going to be shared with you in the September, um, the September session. But I just wanted to make sure you knew where to go in case somebody says, where did that data really come from? And you're able to say, well, that came from the Virginia Department of Education's school quality profile. Um, there are a couple of other things you can see on this page. It's just kind of a nice place to direct people if they're looking for something high level. It shows our enrollment, um, and this is, this is year over year. Um, by the way, we're, <laughs> we're growing in enrollment. We get the enrollment update every day, and we're um, exceeding projection just by the way um, right now, so that will that'll be interesting just to sort of track. Um, there are career and college readiness indicators here. There's finance indicators based on, you know, percentage of expenditures based on locality versus um, the state and also instruction versus non-instruction. Um, you get some information about learning climate and that's specific to chronic absenteeism um, and a couple of other um, factors that go into that. Some information about teacher quality, um, because our, our PTR, uh, for example, and then talks about uh, our, our relative um, degree status. Um, we've got ESSA, which is the, um, how is our, um, how do our numbers look in terms of federal graduation, and then school readiness indicators. So anyway, I just wanted to quickly show that to you. Again, I don't want to get too deep into it. Um, I don't, I can't answer a lot of questions about it. Um, all I can do is tell you where it is in case you get questions like where did the data come from. So that was the purpose of tonight, was just to share that with you. Thank you so much, Dr. Nina. And we're going to be having a deep dive into this in the fall. In right? September, um, we are uh, going to have Dr. Weilenman and um, Mr. Bates come back and do a data presentation for us um, that they're already beginning to work on. And we've gotten some good feedback from you all about what you're hoping to see. And um, I'll share that with uh, Dr. Weilenman and Mr. Bates as we move ahead. Great. Thank you so much. Certainly. Any, not to get, we're not getting into the weeds tonight, but any. Big picture questions from anybody? Okay. All right. Uh, all right. We'll move on then. Thank you very much, Dr. Newton. We'll move on now to section 2.04 secondary campus traffic flow. And uh, I will, am I going straight? Yeah, to go, go to me uh, first because I do want to, um, I, I want to not steal uh, Miss Michael's thunder, but maybe take some pressure off Miss Michael uh, to say what needs to be said. And that is that um, if you have a student on the secondary campus, we strongly urge you to walk, ride a bike um, to school this year. The, the secondary campus traffic is going to be very challenging. 
um, because as soon as the buses arrive, Haycock, the entrance to Haycock from Haycock is going to close through Mustang Alley, which is one way this year, uh, temp temporarily, but one way. And the only entrance to the secondary campus will be off Route 7, which means that if you come up Route 7 going west and you turn right, you can either go left into the Kiss and Ride for, um, go into the Kiss and Ride, or you can go right into the parking lot to park. So um, I'm going to talk about this tomorrow night on the live stream as well, but we're going to highly recommend that, particularly with secondary students, those students can walk a block or two to get to school. So we would, we would recommend that perhaps um, you consider as parents dropping your students off a block or two away. We'll have a full complement of crossing guards on Haycock available to, to safely get kids across Haycock. And then there's a very safe walking path up Mustang Alley that's been created. So we have a safe route to school, um, but the, 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 the least um, challenging will be to walk or bike. The most challenging will be to drive. So even if it rains, give them an umbrella and let them walk that last block or two. They'll, they'll be okay. Um, but anyway, I'll, I'll turn it over to Miss Michael because I, I, I didn't want her to have to say all that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Noonan. Um, and thank you for the opportunity to share this information. We are so looking forward to welcoming students back. Um, and as Dr. Noonan indicated, at the secondary campus, we will have traffic flow challenges um, that are tied to the adjacent construction of the West Falls Development Project. That project is truly a huge benefit to the community and our school system. Um, and with that benefit, we will have some inconveniences due to traffic. Um, I want to thank um, Head of Schools, Valerie Hardy, who's done a tremendous job writing up information and has shared it with parents. So what I'm sharing with you tonight is really the work of Valerie Hardy. And then on the screen here, I have displayed a map that Mary Beth Conley had put together. So thanks to Mary Beth as well. The two of them have worked um, diligently together in terms of communicating clearly. So Dr. Noonan, I was going to say most importantly, um, we want everyone to be on high alert for pedestrians, bikers, cars and buses at all times, both when they're on our campus and when they're approaching it, right? Student safety has been our highest concern. So, so I wanna stress that as much as I can tonight. And then my second point was, we encourage everyone to walk, bike, or ride the bus, but not to drive on the campus. So thank you so much for highlighting that as well. Um, on this map that I just wanted to highlight, the first route is this pink route showing here, that pedestrian and bike crosswalk going across Haycock adjacent to the giant where the crossing guards will be located. We want all of our walkers to cross there with the assistance of the crossing guards and then to travel to Mustang Alley where they'll follow the pedestrian path. And I would really like to thank Hoffman, um, who is the developer working on the site, who has installed all the concrete barriers for that pedestrian path to keep pedestrians out of that traffic lane, which will be used during buses, during arrival and dismissal, and then cars can use it one way during the other times. So we thank them for that support. It's really important that students do not walk along Route 7, right? That sidewalk is very narrow and there's a lot of construction traffic going in and out of that development site along Route 7. So it really is critical that students cross Haycock using the crossing guards and use that safe pedestrian pathway along Mustang Alley. And in that pathway, we will be asking bikers to walk their bikes so everyone is safely walking there adjacent to the traffic. Um, so then when we think about drivers, um, if for some reason um, parents or students are driving to school, um, drivers will be entering from Leesburg Pike or Route 7, um, as Dr. Noonan 
indicated right here at Mustang Alley. Mustang Alley is one way from Haycock to Route 7. So as he indicated, when students or parents enter this parking lot, students um, will be assigned two different parking areas. Um, the first is in this brown lot. We used to call this the trapezoid lot. It's now the east lot. Um, parents cannot drop off in that lot. There'll be a lot of parking in there, so only students will be allowed to turn right into that lot. Parents who are coming to drop off their um, students will come in and turn left in front of Mary Ellen Henderson and follow this blue pathway that goes down adjacent to the athletic field and the multi-purpose field and then loop back around. Um, students who are assigned parking in the south lot, which is adjacent to the multi-purpose field, will follow that same pattern. The next very critical thing is as parents and students and staff are leaving the school, once they are coming out from Mustang Alley to Route 7, only a right turn is allowed. Again, no left turn is allowed at that intersection. That's going to be super important both to traffic flow but also for safety. Turning left out of there with the hill, it's very difficult to see cars that are approaching. Um, so again, stressing safety. So when you turn left or turn right, not left, onto Leesburg Pike, um, you can follow this um, pink path which takes you to the ramp to eastbound Route 66. There is no toll when you first enter this ramp. So even if there's a high toll, you still can follow this ramp. And then what you'll do is you'll get over here and you'll follow the signs to Metro and you'll be allowed to follow this pink line that will take you all the way back to Haycock. Um, so that's how you can get back into the city using that right turn. So again, no left turn. Um, and as parents are thinking about dropping students off at other locations, um, which is highly encouraged, we also want to be absolutely sure that no parents are dropping students off along Route 7 adjacent to the development site or in front of our school. Right? Again, that, that's not safe. So we, again, want to encourage students that are getting dropped off to follow the pink pedestrian path and crossing with the crossing guards. Um, the other thing that we've been working on, Michelle A. Johnson is our Director of Transportation. She's absolutely amazing. Um, we have worked to hire a number of new drivers and are still looking for more, um, but she has redone all of our bus routes, so we won't have any standing double routes. Um, so again, the bus is a great opportunity for kids um, in addition to walking and biking. And just a huge shout out for Michelle for all of her tremendous work this summer um, as she's really worked on those bus routes. Um, so again, one last push for please as you're considering sending your kids to school next week, we're so excited to have them. Safety is our highest priority, and we really want to encourage walking, biking, and riding the bus. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Michaela. And please uh, pass on our thanks to uh, Michelle for us as well, because I know she has done a tremendous amount of work in trying to uh, reroute some of those bus um, routes. One quick question, are, is um, in terms of student parking, is it just seniors that are allowed to park? So I believe they'll be selling parking passes to seniors and juniors. I do believe seniors will be parking in that lot. It looks brown on my screen, but it looks a little bluer, the east lot here. Um, and then there'll be some, I think, junior parking down here in the south lot. Um, so, so I'm assuming seniors first, and then if there's any parking left, juniors? Correct. Okay. Exactly. Great. That was a self-serving question. Am I? <laughs> but it, it does raise a good question, uh, regardless of the, the <laughs> meaning behind it. <laughs> um, and. and and just for the purposes of the community's understanding too, we have enough parking on this site. Um, so we feel really good about the amount of parking. Um, the pink lot that does go down by the multi-purpose field is a little bit further away um, and it's gonna take a little longer to walk. So 
but but there's plenty of parking for for our teachers and for our students that have parking passes and teachers and staff and if I can add one more thing that I didn't say in the past we've had many students that have parked at Virginia Tech right one of the things is we're concerned about how students will be coming from that tech parking lot into our campus um, the development group is going to start working on the Virginia Tech side of the roadway first because that's where the permanent um, bike path and sidewalk will be going in right and it's very tempting for students and staff um, to park in that lot and kind of cut through that service drive but when you do that you can't um, get into the pedestrian pathway because it's sectioned off with cement dividers so the only safe way is to go all the way back to Haycock and follow the sidewalk, which is a long way around. So we really want to encourage people, you know, first to probably not use a Virginia Tech parking lot, but then if they do, to know that really they need to go all the way back to Haycock to ensure that they're entering that safe um, pedestrian path. Thank you. Great, thank you for that information. Any questions? Yes, Ms. Tice. Just a quick follow-up on the student parking. Um, what is the parking fee for buying a parking spot? You happen to know? It's okay if you don't. I no, I believe it's two hundred dollars. Yeah, it's around that. Yeah, one fifty, two hundred. I can't remember offhand, but okay. it's about that. And do we run? I mean, do we run out? Of, I mean, does every student who want a, every student who wants this parking lot spot, parking spot get one, or do you, do we eventually run out for juniors or sophomores as they turn sixteen? I think it has curious. depended, right, on the number of students who've wanted parking. But I believe in the last couple of years we've had plenty of parking. And it's been, yeah, I was actually asking my junior about this because with COVID and construction, it's been, it's hard to even remember what it was like three years ago, <laughs> um, how, how things used to work. But I think that was my understanding is that all the seniors would have it and then um, some juniors. And I don't, I don't know if we were always able to accommodate all the juniors, but definitely all the seniors. And that was pre-construction, so it might, we might have more parking now, I guess. Uh, yes, Dr. Dimmick. Michael, thank you for your presentation. I'm wondering if we're going to do anything to discourage crossing Haycock at the corner, because lots of lots of our population is used to doing that and just walking up Route Seven. And parents can 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 have them read things and tell them things. But will there be, say, a police officer at the corner saying, "No, don't cross here. You must cross there." So we are super excited that our school resource officer um, is in place and was at convocation today, um, who's absolutely fantastic. And our plan is to have additional staff at arrivals and dismissals every day next week. Um, so we'll really be using staff people to try to be there to tell kids which way to go and to really try to influence them to ensure they're following the right path. Um, that sidewalk along Route 7 is like narrow. It's kind of beat up where the trucks are driving in and out and there's lots of trucks. So we'll really try to use staff to be the people that are directing the students to the right path. And then, of course, our SRO will be on site as well, which is just fantastic. You, you raise a good point, though, and, and it's um, two things. One is the kids that um, take the bike path, because the bike path ends you up on the western side of uh, Haycock on the other side of the road, which is then Shreve. So they're going to have to come backwards to go east to Lazy Mike's come across from Lazy Mike's to the giant shopping center corner and then cross on Haycock. So I think we probably should um, station somebody over there just to make sure for a while that they're, they're going the right direction. And I do anticipate that as part of the construction project that at some point that sidewalk will be block blocked. Um, a clarification on if you're going eastbound on Leesburg Pike, um, 
are you allowed to take a left into the middle school? You still are allowed to take a left? Yes, you are allowed okay. to turn left from eastbound Leesburg Pike into the secondary campus. So you okay. can travel um, this direction and then turn left in. And that's a, the direction a lot of our teachers are coming as well. Okay. Yep. Okay. Thanks. I can't see our uh, Zoom colleagues. Can you, do you, can you, I, can you, do they have any questions? Can you I can see them and neither of their hands are up. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. I, I don't have any questions, um, Chair Downs um, or, or Kristen. Thanks for the, um, thanks for the detailed update. Okay. Thank you. Uh, and thank you again, Ms. Michael. We'll keep our fingers crossed and hope that um, people listen and, or, or, you know, read all the updates. I know you all, it's not that you haven't been sending them out. We just hope everyone's going to be reading them. It's just a good reminder to everybody, though, that, and, and Ms. Michael sort of hit on it, is that the school um, is being, the debt service on the school is being paid for by the development that's going in next door. Um, and in a, in a time when tax, taxes actually in the city are going down um, and that is so such a positive revenue stream for us that it'll pay for a school without having taxes go up it is going to be a little painful but the trade-off in the end um, will be good I, I will say this also um, it's my understanding that the Haycock one way is doesn't look like it's going to be a permanent it's, it's certainly not a permanent um, solution and there's the possibility that we may get Haycock back in a two-directional way um, in the spring, but it's it's going to be a ways away. So it's going to be it's going to be a while. Thank you, Dr. Noon. Okay. Anyone else? All right, great. Thank you again. Uh, we'll, we are now moving on to section 2.05 school board calendar policy discussion. And um, Dr. Noon, how would you? We still have, I think, one more item to talk about regarding our policy. And I know you've got some. Um, drafts to show us which which order would you like to go? Um, I, I think we're we're open to do whichever. Just so you know, sort of the um, the process by which we used um, the Kristen and and the team um, used to put these calendars together um, were really based on the conversations of the last conversation, utilizing some of the um, sort of assumptions mm -hmm. that that came out. Um, so perhaps might be good for us to share what we have and then maybe that has some impact on your decision making yeah I how about I do a very I have a very quick just for the uh, public this is super super tick one minute and then maybe you can go and then we can come back and and finalize that one piece that we so um this is I believe our fourth I believe this is our fourth public discussion about the calendar uh, we have come a long way as, as a group. We've decided to move the start date to school for two, the Monday two weeks before Labor Day. Uh, we decided as a group that um, winter break would ideally be two weeks and include uh, December 25th and January 1st. We decided that even though the majority of this board would like to move to a secular calendar, that because um, the majority of our staff will staff live outside of Falls Church City and the surrounding school systems for now are keeping their spring break coupled with Easter that for operational um, reasons and to support to support our staff so that our staff can have spring break at the same time as their children that we would we would keep that spring break coupled with Easter and again that's that's you know we would work with we hope to work with um, 
surrounding school systems and maybe at some point we can we can get that decoupled but for now to support our staff and for operational reasons um, we will keep that aligned with the surrounding school systems which is uh, the week prior to Easter um, and then the one piece that we still um, need to uh, discuss and this will I think will be good to for everyone to see this is the holidays and the majority of the board um, we have at least four board members who are on record as um, indicating they would like to see a secular calendar um, taking away the religious holidays and simply having federal holidays and that was um, at least four board members are on the record um, so that is the majority of the board um, the one piece we didn't decide on was um, would it be all federal holidays or would we um, pick this federal holiday or that federal holiday. And so I, I'll turn it over to Dr. Noonan now, and then we'll return on that piece and, and finalize that piece. And, and I'm actually going to turn it over to, to um, Ms. Michael, who did work really diligently to pull these calendars together, along with uh, other members of the team. Um, so Ms. Michael, you want to share? Thank you, Dr. Noonan. Um, I have on the screen right now the very preliminary initial draft that we created for school year 2023-2024. And again, this draft was created based on the discussion at your last meeting. Um, so it's ju just a draft based on that feedback. Um, on this calendar, school is starting on August 21st, which is two weeks prior to the Labor Day start. This calendar includes holidays. There's one um, that doesn't impact the school year on the 4th of July. But then as we head into the school year, currently this calendar shows a holiday on Labor Day and the Friday preceding that is required by the state. On Columbus Day, Veterans Day, it shows the holiday on Thanksgiving with the three days for Thanksgiving um, as previously discussed. It shows a two-week winter break um, that encompassed both Christmas Day, which is a federal holiday, and the New Year's Day, the first also a federal holiday. The Martin Luther King Federal Holiday, President's Day, and then the last federal holiday of the year is Memorial Day. Um, the calendar also does include, um, as indicated, the spring break tying to all the surrounding school divisions being the week preceding Easter. Um, and the quarter is ending in that case the Friday before, so the teacher workday would be the Monday after. Um, this calendar does include a teacher workday at the end of each quarter. Um, the conference days with the school year starting earlier on this draft calendar are currently shown on the 26th and the 27th of October. Um, election day on this calendar, since it's not a federal holiday, um, is not shown as a holiday. Um, and then the last day of school on this draft is Friday, June 7th. Um, graduation is tentatively here penciled in on the 5th, but that's not necessarily um, the day that would need to be selected. Um, with the last teacher workday being the end of the last quarter on June 10th. Um, when we look at the quarters, um, the first quarter has 45 days, the second quarter 44, the third quarter 43, and then the fourth quarter 48. So the semesters um, are almost balanced um, with the quarters having just that slight variation. Thank you, Ms. Michael. Any questions? She did a next year also, yeah, just wanna, for do the next year? just for fun, <laughs> um, just so you could kind of see how it, see how it plays fun, out. Right? Yes. So here is the following year calendar, twenty four twenty five. It uses all of that same logic in terms of following the federal holidays. 
the first day of school in this case is August 19th. Um, the Labor Day holiday next year's earlier. You can see that it's September 2nd. So the holiday required by the state the Friday before is August 30th. Um, the end of the quarter pattern is similar in terms of the end of the quarter, first quarter being October 24th and 25th. Um, Veterans Day in 2024 is on a Monday. Um, we have the three days for Thanksgiving. Um, Christmas in 2024 falls midweek. So again, it follows the two week um, winter break, um, which encompasses both Christmas Day and New Year's Day. Um, <clears throat> we have, again, the rest of the federal holidays. Spring break, sticking with the surrounding jurisdictions in 2025, would shift until mid-April. So that third quarter would end at the end of March. Um, and then looking at this calendar, again, the last day of school would be June 6th of Friday. Um, in this calendar, the quarters are 45, 45, and then 47 and 43. So the semesters are balanced with that slight variation in the third and fourth quarter. Great, thank you so much, Ms. Michael. Okay, that, this is really, was very, very helpful for me. Um, I do, I guess I'll just kick it off with one question and then um, board members chime in. Um, can you remind us, or, and this might be a Dr. Noon question, where we landed on election day? Um, with the shift of the two weeks prior to Labor Day start, it moved sort of where the end of the quarter would be, because we try to keep it right around 45 days, between 43 and 47, sometimes we get to 48. Um, but by moving back two weeks, um, we had traditionally had the end of the quarter at the same time as election day, um, but with the move they don't line up. Um, to have the end of the quarter there. So what we would do is we would hold school during election day. Um, of course, uh, Oak Street is one of the precincts. We, we would easily be able to accommodate voting and school without um, any problem. Schools do that all over, all over the place. Um, but if you wanted to make a national, if you wanted to make a decision on a national election day versus a state election day, that would certainly be um, something that we would you know, support you in as well. But we can hold school on election day. Okay, thank you. Any questions from anyone? Uh, yes, Dr. Dimmick. Thank you very much for making the calendar and thank you for the election day question answer because I was curious about that. Um, I'm just, um, does this make sense for professional development days? Like, do we have? enough yes uh, I'm just gonna go ahead and um, say that I, I still would support putting election day as one of our days um, off with at least with with um, not having students in the building um, and just acknowledging that as one of our holidays that would be my preference yes dr. Dimmer um, so for moving to preferences, I guess I would chime in to um, in the revised policy that uh, Mr. Reitinger sent out, um, the flexibility around Indigenous Peoples Day and Veterans Day of making those either, I guess I would like to give the school system flexibility with those days if we needed to have. so if we add in election day to this currently drafted calendar then we're going to school on the Monday following 
and we're sticking with 180 days, we're going to school like one day on that following week potentially. Um, so having being able to have school on Indigenous Peoples Day or Veterans Day would then give us the flexibility to have a a day off for students on um, election day if we needed it, I guess, yeah. The, the other option, because you're right, if, if we add a holiday, we'll need a student day somewhere. So the other thing that you could do is move the teacher workday, for example, um, in this first year calendar for 23, move the teacher workday from Friday the 27th of October to election day would, would be another alternative um, in addition to your suggestion about flexibility for Veterans Day and Columbus Day. Thank you, Ms. Michael. I, I will say that I, um, you know, one of the things that we talk a lot about with, with the calendar is, of course, there's the community aspect, but there's also thinking about the operations and the staff aspect. And so by us um, pulling out the religious holidays and Fairfax and Arlington keeping theirs, we now have a situation where our staff are going to have to be coming to work when their own children will be home. And so for me, um, I, I don't like picking and choosing federal holidays. I think it's a cleaner policy to just say federal holidays. And then I think that also gives our staff then Indigenous Peoples Day and Veterans Day to be at home with their children because there are a lot of days that's not going to happen because um, of, of these calendar choices we're making, which is fine. But I just think in terms of a policy, it just seems cleaner to me to just say federal holidays and not picking and choosing. But that, that, that's just my thought on that. Yes, uh, Vice Chair Gould. Yeah, I, I think adding to that and, and, and echoing Dr. Dimmick's point, I think the if we're if we're trying to enforce the concept of academic continuity, both for our students and for our staff, I, I don't know if there's a way to write that in there such that that is the intent or the purpose of why we would make any decisions to Dr. Dimmick's suggestion. Um, I think the the issues that we have run into and clearly the feedback we get from the community. Um, is when we have you know students coming a Wednesday and a Friday, and they you know and, and or you know just various days in the week, and it's it's kind of on and off. And maybe if we think about it as academic continuity, or you know, it's about the students trying to make sure that they're not coming for school, then going home, then coming back. Maybe that gives us a little bit more of, of decision making behind or a framework behind making that kind of decision. Because I understand the concern. We don't want to sit there. You know, we're trying to. I think to Mr. Ranger's point, we're trying to get away from. From, from making these decisions every year and having a different calendar and people can't plan. Um, uh, you know, and I think we've gotten much further with his suggestion of how we're doing this, but maybe we have some kind of academic continuity theme in our suggestion if we were going to go to start to take away certain holidays for certain years. I think the question I would have for Ms. Michaels is like Veterans Day for the next two years is very nicely situated on a Friday and a Monday. I would imagine if you did this fun exercise that would now fall into a Tuesday, is that correct? And then it would start to just be in the middle of the week. Veterans Day will shift exactly as you indicated. Yes. So this looks great for two years, but now we're going to run into that issue again. So, um. Yeah, uh, Dr. Ortiz or Mr. Anger, did you have a question or comment? Yeah, I think I'd like to. Um
in that month. So uh, I think I would be open to having um, some flexibility with respect to um, Veterans Day as a, as, a, as a holiday that we may want to either have school or a teacher work day or a development day, depending on the needs of the school division. I would actually have a preference toward having election day being a day off. Um, I think that's an important gesture to our staff, as well as um, an indication of a civic duty that I think is important. Um, so I would actually prefer to have election day to be permanently a day that we would have off from school and then to have flexibility with respect to Veterans Day, depending on the continuity issues. Thank you, Dr. Ortiz. Mr. Reiniger, did you have any questions? So a couple of things. One, uh, I, I, I'm a little, I'm not sure it's the best way to structure the discussion to dive in on one issue, unless that's the one issue we're gonna be discussing. You know, I, I, and I, if we're gonna talk about the holidays, um, I guess I'd rather go around and have a more sort of detailed discussion about what the options are around the holidays, whether they, as Mr. Uh, Dr. Ortiz just said, um, our teacher work days or uh, professional days. Um, there are a number of issues that I think that are still, we wanna confirm that the language that I wrote up after the last meeting um, is correct. But you know, diving into the particular issue that we're talking about now about the holidays during the course of the year. You know, I, I would try, I think, not to hide behind the simplicity of saying federal holidays, because you know, there are some questions I think we've just discussed about whether all federal holidays are actually going to be holidays for the school system. Um, are all federal holidays to be holidays, including Veterans Days, uh, Veterans Day and Columbus Day? Um, which we also call Indigenous Peoples Day, but is still Columbus Day on a federal level. Um, and we're not going to include things like General Election Day. Or are some federal holidays going to be um, no school, but with the option that they be teacher work days or professional days? Um, last, is there gonna be any sort of option that some of those holidays um, actually be school days. Um, and I, I might, the best example I can think of is Dr. Um, uh, as uh, Dr. Gould had just mentioned, is Veterans Day. Um, with, you know, it, it, with Thanksgiving being a little bit after that um, and Election Day being a little bit before that, you know, like I think it was Dr. Ortiz, my preference would be to make um, General Election Day as opposed to Veterans Day um, either a, uh, a, uh, a holiday, a teacher work day, or a professional day. Um, <clears throat> and so you know, we can craft the language, you know, what, whatever people want in terms of federal holidays. But I think we need to think pretty clearly about, do we want all federal holidays to be holidays, and those are the only holidays, or do we want some of those to be uh, an option on behalf of the administration to be teacher work days or uh, professional days, or in some cases, do we want them to be options about whether they're holidays or not? Um, 
So uh, I guess my, you know, I'm happy to go with the majority of the board. You know, my inclination is more towards saying that I would like, I, I'm okay with leaving discretion um, with the administration on whether um, Veterans Day based on placement should or should not be a holiday, a teacher work day, or a professional day. But I would make, for the reasons Dr. Ortiz said, um, uh, general election day a holiday, um, at least, maybe a holiday, teacher work day, or professional day, because I do think it sends the right message to say this is the most important part um, of our democracy, and we're going to treat voting um, for the importance it's got. Um, so that's that's what I'd like to say. Thank you, Mr. Anger. And yeah, I, I, I believe that, um, I'm sorry if I, you know, we dove right into the holidays because I think the rest of the policy that you sent out today, the updated version, I'm pretty sure that everyone was good with the language and that was the only piece that, in my opinion, we still had to discuss. So sorry, that's why I jumped right into that piece. Um, so I think, you know, I, I do understand um, the idea of um, Veterans Day, I think, again, sort of like how we talked about, um, because I know, you know, in years past, the board did receive criticism for giving Indigenous Peoples Day off, but not Veterans Day. And um, I think I definitely heard from veterans who were insulted by that. So I think um, if we wanted to um, phrase it in a sense, it, you know, as we did with the language about spring break and, and that that updated policy you sent out today, Mr. Ryinger, you talked about um, the language was really about, you know, we'd like to move to a secular calendar, but we're keeping this as is for operational, you know, to align with, I think that was good language. And if we, I would be okay if we had some sort of reasoning um, in that policy um, for continuity of learning or, or what have you, if we wanted to give some flexibility on Veterans Day. Um, you know, I, I think that would be okay with me. I just, um, you know, I just remember, um, as I said, receiving some emails um, two years ago about those, why this, why this federal holiday, not that. You know, if, if the reasoning is, is for continuity of learning and um, we've got Thanksgiving and we've got election day, uh, I think, you know, that's, that does make sense to me. Um, and I was remiss, Dr. Reininger and, and Mr. Reininger, not thanking you, by the way, for taking, taking this on and your leadership and, and revising this policy many times. Uh, any other thoughts about, it doesn't just have to be about holidays, but any other thoughts about the policy or um, the great drafts in front of us that Ms. Michael gave us? Yes, Ms. Tice. I just had one more uh, comment about the addition, additional wording on the two-week winter break, I know um, there had been an addition to potentially say it should ideally last two weeks, and I wasn't sure. I, I really appreciated that flexibility because I do think there's just some years, I do we really need you know a 15 day winter break? I would a uh, 12 or 13 uh, day winter break suffice? So I appreciated that flexibility in the added language, but I wasn't sure uh, if I was alone in that. <laughs> Thank you, Ms. Tice. How, looking at Ms. Michaels, um, these great drafts that she did uh, for fun in her spare time, <laughs> what, how, how does, does everyone, do these look good to everyone? Is this what you're hoping to see by, as we work through this, this project? 
That's a thumbs up from Dr. Ortiz there. Yes, uh, Mr. Reininger, your hands up. Nope, no hand up. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I was very pleased with this myself, um, looking at this. It seems like a very clean uh, calendar. And, um, you know, I, th I think um, we can go back and, um, again, poor Mr. Ranger will ask him maybe we can work on that language again on, um, I guess, specifically around veteran. It, it, I guess, okay, let me think, let me say it this way. Is, is the majority of the board in agreement that election day should be off, looking at you three? How do you feel? Okay, Ms. Tice, you were the one that brought it up. <laughs> yeah, no, I would, I would be in support of it. I would, I would be open to it, to it being um, a teacher work day or a professional okay. day. I actually would really. But no, I guess what I'm saying, no students in the building. Yes, I'm in support of that. Yeah. Okay, is that Vice Chair Gould? Yeah, uh, assuming that the days around it are not disrupted, you know, if we're going to take that day off, you know, that that's the academic continuity. So yeah. Okay. Yes, yeah, I, I would. Just Add on to what Dr. Gould said, if we're going to take Veterans Day, I'm going to be less comfortable taking Election Day because right. there's not going to be much of a week there. Okay. Okay, and, and I'm assuming our, um, Mr. Ranger and, and Dr. Ortiz, you already had, had voiced that. So I guess that would be something that we would, we would put then as uh, Mr. Ranger is that we would put that Election Day would be off uh, for students at least. And then, um, and then we... I guess need to then just revisit the exact language of how we would address Veterans Day. Um, so we could work on that uh, again with the hopes of having something for a first reading for next month. Does that sound okay? Yes, Ms. Reininger. Reininger. Well, I'd say let's not pretend this is a language problem, right? This is just a substance problem, um, which is if we can write the language whatever the board's intent is, but we ought to figure out what the board's intent is. And so it seems to me that everybody agrees that, you know, the, the, the most commonly important ho federal holiday should be holidays. You know, to wit, uh, Labor Day, uh, uh, Memorial Day, and the, you know, President's Day and uh, Martin Luther King uh, Day. But <clears throat> with regard to uh, Veterans Day, Columbus Day, and <clears throat> General Election Day, which is not a federal holiday, you know, there is there's some discussion. So let's assume that those, you know, the big ones, those four, and I'd have to look back if there are any more, those are all holidays. So the question is for those three, um, Columbus Day, uh, Veterans Day, and General Election Day, you know, are they all the same or are they all different? Do we want to say that um, any or all of those can be either general holidays, teacher work days, or professional days in the discretion of the school administration, depending on what works? Do we want to say that you do we want to say that some or all of them um, must be holidays uh, or must be no student days, but they can be either holidays, um, professional days, or um, teacher work days. In other words, if we just if we could say what's the status of those three and are they different, the language to write up what that looks like is really simple to do. Thank you, Mr. Anger. So uh, I guess the clear way to say is, is 
in terms of Election Day and Columbus Day, is the board in agreement that those would be no student days? Yes, Dr. Dimick. I guess I, I hear agreement on Election Day. Mm -hmm. um, I, I guess for me, I would give the school system flexibility to decide on both Columbus Day and Veterans Day. If you're not in the federal workforce, if you're in a nonprofit in DC, if you're in a law firm, those are those are work days. Mm -hmm. um, those holidays have been put in elsewhere in those employees' calendars to match the number of federal holidays, but they've been, like the day after Thanksgiving is not a federal holiday, but many offices take that because they're moving one of these other federal days to that uh, day. So. Thank you. Anyone else? So, so oh yes, Mr. Reininger. So I just say I, I agree with Dr. Demick. Um, I would say that for those three days that we, we should have no students on general election day. Um, and I'm comfortable with the administration making it either a holiday, a um, teacher work day or a professional day um, and leave just complete flexibility based on calendar needs in the administration's hands. If you should Dr. Noonan and staff be comfortable in making that decision on whether or not to have students make them holidays or make them teacher work days or professional days for both Columbus Day and Veterans Day, um, depending on where they fall and other calendar considerations, including the start and the end or the end of school, I would say. everyone good with yes miss tice well i was just going to say i think we are i know there's so many competing interests here are we doing continu continuity of of um academics are we doing consistency are we doing equity what kind of equity there's a million lenses you can be using here right but i did just want to remind us of one lens when we were writing this policy was just being consistent and predictable so the more i want to give some flexibility um on some items but at the same time if we're going giving too much flexibility then we're right back to every year where we have four options where we're debating and getting right back and mired into all the debates so that's why i would just some years there will be a tricky week in november and maybe we shift the quarter so that it's also teacher work days for election day maybe that gets a little awkward on when the teacher work day timing is but to me it just seems very predictable and consistent to just say we take the federal you know schools are closed on federal holidays period that's just where i stand um maybe i'm alone there but no, I, I'm with you on that, Ms. Tice, but we may we may be overruled. So, um, okay. So I think um, I think it seems that the majority of the board um, feels that um, we. Uh, I think the majority of the board, I believe, feels that um, the election day should be um, a holiday, no students, and then with some flexibility on uh, Indigenous Peoples Day, Columbus Day, and Veterans Day. Um, is that i'm sorry yeah can i just ask yes. a, a clarifying question because i'm wondering so it sounds like from a staff perspective if that is the direction that the board wants to go that election day is a non-student day but there's flexibility for the administration to decide whether indigenous people's day or columbus day and veterans day is a is a is a student day is a teacher work day is is an, an off day completely um, is at our discretion depending on how it falls within the calendar and if 
if it is needed for a school day to, to make school end on a Friday as opposed to on a Monday, that that flexibility sort of is, is supported. I guess, I guess one of the things, and, and I don't know if this is a policy, if you can write this into policy, so I sort of look to Mr. Reidinger, um, because one thing to me, it seems like you could say it's the preference to have it off as a student day, but in cer certain circumstances to ensure that quarters balance or we end school on a Friday, Thursday or Friday as opposed to carrying over to a, a week, uh, you know, next week or whatever. I don't know if that convolutes the policy or not, but you know, it does, it does, that would leave us two days of, of some flexibility and I, I, you know, we, we like flexibility, um, but we don't need flexibility either. But I guess one of the things you could do is in the document itself that you're writing, you could indicate what the spirit of those two days with the flexibility is to say, you know, that we really hope that they could be off. But in the case of certain circumstances for quarters to balance or whatever the case may be, the administration has the flexibility to provide those as days. I don't, that's probably not I can certainly be drafted up in, 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 in almost those many words to say, normally there will be no school on Elections Day or Indigenous Peoples Day, Columbus Day, but the administration has the flexibility to schedule student days, et cetera, um, as may be warranted in order to rationalize the calendar and provide continuity of education and appropriate into school. It's not a problem. Yeah, I concur. Uh, so maybe at this point, uh, what we could do is ask Mr. Ranger one more time, take a stab at that section, and we could all look at it. And um, you know, if we need to make some phone calls, and and um, but we would like to have this. Um, I guess Ms. Minson, that would be for first reading um, at our first meeting in September, right? That's correct. Okay. So we do want to we, we do want to get this finalized. So maybe Mr. Ranger, if you wouldn't mind taking one more stab at it, and. Um, I mean, we've come a long way. It's it's impressive, and so um, we'll do this last piece. And once everyone in, um, you know can agree to that language, we'll put it for first reading in in September. Yes, please, Dr. Uh, just one last comment, and and this uh, this is an email that was sent by Dr. Dimick this morning that we we are going to seek some clarity on from the state uh, as well, because there are a variety of surrounding school divisions that don't go 180 days. They might go 179, they might go 178. Um, and, and so we want to find out where that flexibility and wiggle room is within their calendars. Because if there is some flexibility and wiggle room to go 178 versus 180, that might help this conversation along around Indigenous Peoples Day and, and Veterans Day and Election Day as well. So um, hopefully we'll be able to bring that as an informational point anyway. Um, to the next meeting, but it's still our understanding just to be really clear from the Virginia Department of Edge that we're supposed to start with 180 days and unless there's some sort of weather event that takes us out of school, that's at the point that we start counting hours to 990 versus 180 days. Thank you for that clarification, Dr. Noon. Anything else? Okay, thank you. We are, we are getting there and then again, we will, um, once the uh, policy, everyone feels comfortable with the policy, we will um, get that out to the community uh, over morning announcements several times um, between that first reading and second reading so that we can make sure everyone has, and, and again, we have 
discussed this publicly at least, I believe, four times now. So um, hopefully people are aware we've been talking about this. But it ha some of it has been during the summer, and I don't know why people don't watch school board meetings during the summer. It's be uh, but um, so anyway, so we once we get get this policy um, in in good order, uh, we'll get this out um, again a couple times over morning announcements in in the month of September. And I think that is it for um, for the school board policy calendar discussion. Again, Ms. Michael, thank you so much for those um, drafts. That was very, very helpful for us to be able to see what we've been talking about this whole time and really see it in front of us. So thank you so much. Um, and for that, we are done with our public um, portion of the meeting. So um, I just want to thank everyone for joining us. We're ending the meeting with a closed meeting. So this will be it um, for the public portion. And I would just ask, um, first of all, thank you to all the staff uh, for joining us this evening. I know it's been a big day with convocation this morning and an 8 a.m. Uh, arrival at uh, Meridian High School. So I know that you all have had a long day. So thank you so much for staying with us this evening and, and for all the presentations and information. Uh, we're going to move into close now. If I could have someone, we are at 3.01. If I could have someone read us into close, please. Thank you, Vice Chair Gould. Pursuant to the Virginia Freedom of Information Act, I move that the board convene a closed meeting for the following purpose to discuss or consider the identified subject matter. Personnel under Section 2.2-3711A1, in particular, the superintendent's evaluation. Thank you. May I have a second? Second. Thank you, Dr. Dimick. All those in favor say yes. 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 All, those, all those opposed say no. Thank you. Motion carries, and we'll now be moving into closed. For those of you that are online, we're going to switch to the other link um, and we're going to move into the yellow conference room um, since it's just a, a few of us uh, and then we'll have you in there. Can we take just a five minute recess? Is that okay? Yep. All right. So we'll see you on the flip side. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>